0: Well, um, about 25 years ago, I almost uh, became a hero for ministries of compassion, justice, and mercy. Um, Let me tell you the story. It was my first job. I was living in South Minneapolis. um, And every morning at 6.30 a.m., in order to get to my job, I would have to pass through a pretty sketchy used car lot um, in a pretty shady neighborhood in South Minneapolis. And I would walk by there on my way to work. And one morning, at about 6.30 a.m., I'm walking by, and I hear some noises coming from the back of the parking lot that sounds like human beings scuffling, shouting, that kind of thing. So, you know, there's no cell phones at this time, 25 years ago, remember? Um, remember that time when there was no cell phones? Um, some of you can remember that. And uh, so I went back there to investigate. And I come upon two people, and there's one person who's pretty much standing on top of somebody Getting ready to pound the other person So we'll call the first person the pounder And the second person the poundee And um, I thought to myself I gotta do something I mean I'm here Let's just plunge in and do something So my plan was I would start walking towards them And some brilliant words would form on my lips (laughs) So I came to them And I couldn't think of any words So I cleared my throat. throat Like that they were pretty busy in what they were doing. This was, they were pretty intense. So they didn't really notice me, they didn't pay any attention. And so then I thought, well, I gotta speak up. Again, I gotta do something, I gotta plunge in. So these were the brilliant words that formed on my lips. Uh, excuse me, I don't think you should be doing that. And they got up and they thanked me, and um, no, actually they didn't. Um, the pounder, who seemed to be having some anger issues already, um, was now really angry at me. And so he stood up, he got in my face, he started swearing at me, started cursing. A lot of words I can't use in church. And then the last thing, the next thing I knew, I saw this fist coming towards my face. It was his fist. It connected with my face. It was a really good shot. Um, And uh, because I didn't see it coming, of course, I mean, if I would have known it was coming, I would have known what to do. But I didn't see it coming. Uh, I sprawled out on the floor on the ground of this used parking lot, and uh, the poundee got some temporary relief and went running off, and the pounder went chasing after the poundee, swearing and cursing. I yelled back to the pounder, it's just a flesh wound, is that the best you can do? (laughs) Actually, I didn't say that, but this week, 25 years later, I thought, maybe I could have said that, that would have been really good. But I didn't think of that at the time. Um, I'm a slow learner. So anyway, the thing that I really do think, though, as I reflect back on this is, you know, this is not what I did was maybe my heart was in the right place and I wanted to plunge in, but it wasn't what I would call an effective long-term strategy for development of homelessness and poverty in South Minneapolis, okay? It just wasn't very effective. Now, unfortunately, when it comes to compassion ministries, justice ministries, mercy ministries, and I think we can use all three words, and I think we can use them all together, um, I've seen a lot of Christians like myself who want to plunge in, but we're just not as effective as we could be. And now, let me just say, I want us to plunge in. This whole sermon is, part of it is, I want to inspire us as a congregation to plunge in even deeper, because I think God is doing something very powerful in our congregation. I think it's kind of like a, a, a pot that's been boiling, you know, or it's been simmering, and it's just getting hotter and hotter. And now this this heat for Compassion Ministries at Church of the Resurrection, I think is is just it's heating up, and it's going to boil over. And the Lord is in it. it. It's not one person. It's the Lord is in this. The Holy Spirit is in this. And so I want us to plunge in. I want us to see the needs. I mean, the needs are all around us. Did you know, uh, for instance, there are 45 million refugees or displaced people in the world today, internally displaced. That means they're displaced within their own country. 45 million. Do you know which city in the state of Illinois settles the second most refugees? Well, number one is Chicago, because it's a big city. Number two is Wheaton. Wheaton settles the second most refu- resettles the second most number of refugees in the whole state of Illinois. That's an amazing opportunity. Another statistic. The FBI estimates that 15,000 people are trafficked into the United States every year. So that every year, add another 15,000 human beings that are sexually exploited or trafficked into this country, into our country, I'm not talking about Cambodia or Thailand. I'm talking about the United States at this point. We see the needs. We want to plunge in. We also hear the call of Jesus. And I I know, I mean, if you've been in church, this is not going to be news to you. But let me just remind us, stir us up by way of reminder of the the clear call of Jesus in this passage that we see. In in verse 17, Jesus announces the kingdom. He says the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven co- has come near. Turn your life around because something is happening and God is bringing it in. And that what's happening is Jesus is bringing in the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven was, is all of the promises of the Old Testament, all the promises of restoration, all the promises of shalom, all the promises of peace and healing and justice. And right relationships between God and between people and even between all of creation. That is what Jesus is ushering in here. It's amazing, astounding good news that Jesus is bringing here. And then verses 18 to 22, Jesus calls certain kinds of people to join with him in this work of bringing the kingdom in, this work of restoration. I'll get back to that in a minute, but I want us to look at verses 23 through 25 because This is really the heartbeat of Jesus' ministry of compassion. Now, you'll notice that Jesus did, in verse 23, there's there's three verbs in there. He did three things. He He was teaching, he was proclaiming, and he was healing every disease and sickness among the people. Father Kevin, Father Stewart have been talking about evangelism. They've been talking about teaching and proclaiming. They've been talking about the proclamation of the gospel so that people can understand it and people can trust in Jesus. That's an essential part of Jesus' ministry, teaching, proclaiming. But there's also another essential part of his ministry, which is healing. This is his work of compassion for people whose lives are broken, for people who can't fix themselves, not just spiritually, but also materially, relationally, economically. It's a healing, it's a deep healing, because when Jesus healed people, it wasn't just a nice thing he did. It was also a work of justice. It was a work of restoration. Because in that culture, when you're chronically sick, chronically in pain, when you're disabled, you can't work. And there's no really very little support systems. And so by healing them, Jesus is restoring them to dignity. He's allowing them. He's developing them. He's letting them. He's not just providing temporary relief, but he's changing their lives so that they can live the kind of lives that God has called them to. So this, again, this is, a, this is not just um, an add-on to Jesus' ministry. This is not just an option. This is at the very core. And Father Kevin said it so well. Think of it like, you know, your two lungs. You've got a left lung and a right lung. And they, which one is more important? Well, they both are. How can you say which one is more important? They both work. Or, you know, if you're, if you're able to, to, to walk, you know, which, and you're walking, which leg is more important, your left leg or your right leg? Well, they're both important. They both matter. This, and again, God is dialing this up in, this, in our congregation. So we see the needs. We hear the call of Jesus. We say, okay, I get it. It's really, it's, this is really important this is not an option. I, I'm on board with you. I believe you, okay? I'm not, I'm not arguing with you about that. But unfortunately, like I did in that parking lot in South Minneapolis, we just kind of plunge in. But we don't really have the right spiritual framework, the right spiritual foundation. So I just, I want to talk about that for a few minutes. And I want to look in this passage how there's really the right foundation is actually found in this passage with the call of disciples because there's a key principle here. Key principle to the call of the disciples in this passage is that before we plunge into compassion ministries, we need to be transformed, continually being transformed by the grace of Jesus. So grace precedes and goes with action. Otherwise, we'll just see the needs and we'll be overwhelmed. We'll hear the call of Jesus and we'll yell, Oh, it's my duty. It's my Christian duty. i got to do it. But that gives us the wrong attitude. The grace of Jesus gives us the right foundation. Let's look at it in this passage. Now, Jesus calls two sets of brothers. Verses 18 and 19 and 20, He calls uh, a guy named Simon, who's going to be renamed Peter. And then He calls uh, Simon's brother, Andrew. And he says, come and follow me. Then in verses 21 to 22, he calls another set of brothers, James and John, who were the sons of a guy named Zebedee. And he calls them to follow him. Now, the question I want to ponder or look at is, why did Jesus call these people? I mean, there would be a lot of people he could have called, you know, to first start, this movement. When we know the gospel is available, it's open to everybody. But first he goes to these guys. Why? Now if you're like us, you would assume, I mean like me or like us, we would assume, well, they must have some really good spiritual qualifications. They must be sensitive. They must be kind of a modern kind of man, you know, I mean sensitive, compassionate, tenderhearted, all that kind of stuff. They must be really in tune with Jesus' heartbeat, beating with his heart spiritually, emotionally, really in tune with him. Well, if you know anything about the Gospels, you know that that's absolutely opposite of what these guys, how they live their lives. Um, For instance, on one occasion, there's hungry people. And there's a mass of hungry people, and it's getting late, and there's no food. And what do the disciples do? They come to Jesus, and they do a little intervention with Jesus, and they say, look, you've got to send them away. Tell them to get lost. Tell them to scram. Another occasion, some children come, and Jesus want, they want to be blessed by Jesus. And what do the disciples do? Ha, no, go, go away. He's busy. He's a busy guy. He doesn't have time for this. Another occasion, James and John, the very same heroes in this passage, they get snubbed. Jesus gets snubbed by this kind of outpost village. In Luke chapter 9, this story occurs, and the disciples say, Jesus, hey, we've been hanging around you. We know there's power in you. How about if we call down fire from heaven and we just burn all these guys up, okay? Can we do the fire trick, please, Jesus? You know, their heart is not beating with Jesus. Well, here's my point. In both cases, the two sets of brothers Jesus called, in both cases... Neither of them, none of them, all four of them have no spiritual qualifications in terms of receiving merit from God. I'm not talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about our standing before God. They don't have it. They were called on one basis and one basis alone. The grace and unmerited favor of Jesus, God in the flesh this is the way God operates it's by grace it's not by merit this is just the beginning of Jesus this, the, the tale, the beginning of Jesus' ministry we're going to see this throughout his life we're going to see this become crystal clear when he dies on the cross because who did Jesus die for, the gospel tells us he died for sinners when we were far from God that's when our spiritual condition had nothing to merit us before God that's when he died for us. Now, in other words, we don't have anything on our spiritual resumes to make God go, Oh, you're qualified. I'm going to hire you to follow me and to get involved in compassion ministries. Now, I'm all for resumes. <clears throat> I like resumes, I think they're very good tools. I was out of work for eight months, and when you're looking for a job, your most important document at that time in your life, and really in some ways your best friend, is your resume. And um, resume experts will tell you that you need to fill your resume with active verbs of things that you have done in your life that are impressive, that are outstanding, that qualify you. So you will use words like, I catalyzed such and such, I initiated I launched, I organized, I instituted, all these kind of great active verbs, like, and I did this, that's why you should hire me. I remember one interview I was on, um, the guy was sitting in a swivel chair, and he's got my resume in his hands, and I said something that rubbed him the wrong way, and he literally wheeled around in his chair, just like, he just looked at me like, oh, he wheeled around in his chair, Dropped it in the garbage can behind him, wheeled back around, and said, I guess this interview is over. There's the door. And I'm thinking, dude, do you know how many things I initiated? Do you know how many things I analyzed? Do you know how many things I catalyzed? You know, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff. Look at those verbs on there. That's my life. Well, as shocking as that was, and by the way, don't feel sorry for me. I got a really great job eventually, so... um, just so you know. Um, But as shocking as that is, that's not really unlike what Jesus does. I mean, some of us come to him with our impressive five-page, it's not a resume, it's a curriculum vitae, okay? (laughs) It's five pages. You got 109 active verbs on there of things that you've done in your life. And some of you this morning might feel like, Man, I don't know. There's not much on my resume. My resume looks like maybe a 12-year-old wrote it, you know. I just Spiritually speaking, I just don't have that much to offer God at this point in my life. You know, it really doesn't matter. Because, you know, what I see in this passage, this gospel reading, how Jesus chose the disciples, he's basically going to do the same thing. He's going to grab it. He's going to wheel around, throw it in the garbage. But he's going to do something different. He's not going to tell us to go away. He's going to say... Let me give you a real resume. And then he hands us his resume. And you go, well, that's not my resume, that's your resume. And Jesus says, I know, that's my gift to you. I took on all your sin, I give you all my righteousness. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so we go, okay, Jesus, if you want to give me my, your resume, I'll take it. Now, why is this so important to Compassion Ministries? Is this really, how does this connect to Compassion Ministries? Oh, here's the connection, and it's really important. If we don't get this, we will always be ministering to people out of a subtle but very real sense of superiority. Now, we might not even be aware of it, but people who are poor or people who have mental disabilities, you know... They might not have economic means, but they're not stupid. And they can pick up on this in a second. They can smell it out. So we won't say it, we won't think it, but our attitude will be, oh, let me help you. Poor person, broken person, let me help you. Now, if I could summarize our whole strategy for Compassion Ministries at Church of the Resurrection… I could summarize about 80, 75, 80% of it with one word. Relationships. Relationships. It's all about relationships. It's not about doing things for people. It's about walking with people. Tim Keller, pastor in Manhattan, uh, he puts it this way. In his book, Ministries of Mercy, he says, When a Christian sees prostitutes, alcoholics, prisoners, drug addicts, unwed mothers, the homeless, he knows that he is looking in a mirror. You get that? Looking in a mirror. Perhaps the Christian spent all of his life as a respectable middle-class person, no matter he or she thinks, spiritually, I was just like these people, though physically and socially I was never where they are now, They are outcasts, spiritually speaking, I was an outcast. And then Keller says, imagine the most decrepit, homeless person you've ever seen in your life. Dressed in rags, doesn't have much to put on a resume to get a job as a junior executive, okay? Keller says, such were all of us before God the Father. Before Christ gave us the riches of salvation. You see, when we understand this, we minister to people not out of a sense of superiority, which poisons relationships, but out of a sense of identification. Identification that says, we're a lot different in a lot of ways. But you know what? We got a lot in common. We got a lot to talk about. We have a very similar story. That's identification. That's the, the power of grace that enables us to walk beside people. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, I get it. I, I'm totally with you. I was with you before you even started this sermon, okay? And so now I get it even a little more, but still, I just, I want to do something. Let's, I want to get in the game. So what do we do? Well, let me give you a couple suggestions. First of all, you have this brochure in here, and um, it's really beautiful, and, but it also has some, lots of practical, doable ways that you can get involved in compassion ministries through Church of the Resurrection at this point in our life. So, I encourage you to, you don't have to read right now, but, because um, I want you to listen to me, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you can read it later, um, but again, really practical things, and one of the things that I'm really, I mean, everything in here I'm really excited about, but one of the things that I'm particularly excited about is um, our partnership with World Relief um, to reach out to refugee families, and we actually have five different levels of how you can do that how you can start relationships, build friendships. And uh, I'll tell you, you'll learn a lot. Because the refugees that are coming to the United States uh, have a lot to teach us. The ones that are believers in Jesus have a faith that's going to really challenge our faith. And so this is a privilege. Again, this is about relationships. So I ask you to check that out. And you'll also see um, in your bulletin on this page, you'll notice where it says Compassion Ministries ways to connect with our Compassion Ministries. And those are a couple steps of ways that you can get involved in the next couple weeks, actually. Um, You're going to hear about one of them today, but you'll also hear about some other ones. And one thing I'd like to invite you to, if you want to learn more about Compassion Ministries, what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it, I invite you to come next week to a workshop at 2 to 3.30 p.m. uh, here at the church. So come, you can just come and show up for that. Um, And maybe I could just leave you with a challenge that just you know, as a family or as an individual, let's do one thing. Let's do one thing and do one thing well over the next year. I mean, if everybody in our church was just doing one thing, it could make a huge difference. Now, let me emphasize again, I'm not just talking about adding another activity on your busy schedule. I'm really talking about becoming disciples and becoming an entire community of followers of Jesus who are have been captivated by grace, who are being transformed by the grace of Jesus, and who are displaying that grace of Jesus to others. Now, what would it look like? I mean, what would it look like for a church to just be, like I said, not just hot, but like boiling over with compassion ministries? What would that look like? Well, let me tell you a story, a true story. A man named Jean Vanier. Jean Vanier is a... Uh, Canadian who has started or a Frenchman, I'm sorry. He's a Frenchman who has started Christian communities all around the world for people with severe um, physical and developmental disabilities. And these communities are called La Arch. Each one is called a La Arch, like La Arch uh, Toronto or La Arch Montreal or whatever. And um, at one of these he tells a story about one of these La Arch communities that had a woman living there named Francois. Francois was this 76-year-old woman who was also nicknamed Mami, and um, so she was 76 years old, she was blind, she couldn't feed herself, she was bedridden, she couldn't change her diaper, and, uh, but this community, following the teachings of Jesus, displaying the love of Jesus, really, they loved her, they embraced her, but it wasn't always easy. And as compassion ministries are not, they're not easy. It's not about success. But eventually it became to the point where Francois was a blessing to them. And it was a two way relationship. One day a visitor came to this La community. And this visitor was not familiar with uh, La Arche, their philosophy, their commitment. And she watched the staff care for Francois. She watched the staff feed her, change her diapers help her around and at one point this visitor crassly said no offense but why do you even keep her alive and the director looked at her like are you kidding how dare you she said but all she said was this well madame because we love her that's why That is the Christian answer. I would maybe expand it a little bit to say, because Christ loved us, we love others. Because Christ loved us. So wouldn't it be great? Imagine this, that throughout DuPage County, throughout the United States, throughout the world, throughout DuPage County, Church of the Resurrection, imagine people said, why do you care so much? about the unborn they're tiny they're insignificant they're not even a real person are they? and we would say well because we love them because Christ loved us when we were small when we were weak when we were vulnerable Christ died for us while we were yet sinners so of course we love them other people might say no, 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 no Why do you care about people, men, women, professionals that have been involved in abortion? And we would say, well, because Christ loved us when our lives were a train wreck. Christ loved us in the midst of our sin. So we love them. Imagine people saying, why do you care so much about refugees and immigrants I mean, can't they make their own way? I mean, I'm, we're busy. We've got a lot of things to do. And we would say, well, because Christ loved us when we were displaced, and apart from Christ, we were spiritually displaced, we can identify with what that's like, at least that part of the experience. We should know what it's like to be a displaced person, everyone in this room. And so, because Christ loved us when we were displaced, we love them. Or why do you care about women or even men in Emmaus ministries and women in new name ministry? Why do you care about women and men that are caught in the web of sexual trafficking? I mean, you're not going to see a lot of success in that. The success rate is abysmally low of actually getting people out of that and into a healthy lifestyle. And we would say... It's not about success. We're not after success. We don't count success. We just know that Christ loved us when we were far from Him, and so we love them. Brothers and sisters, this is our motto as Church of the Resurrection. And again, it's not like evangelism or compassion, it's like two lungs. Breathing in, breathing out. It's like the Eucharist. We come and we receive. And we're told the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. And we take and we receive and we're blessed and we hear feet on Christ in your hearts.
1: And we hear that good
0: news. So we breathe it in and then we breathe it out when we leave here we go to show that compassion to others. Pope John Paul II once said that this is the criterion by which all of our Eucharistic celebrations will be judged. That is how we treat the poor in our midst. That is how God will ultimately judge our Eucharistic celebrations. So brothers and sisters, let's breathe together with both lungs. Let's walk together with both legs. Amen.